Yeah, it's, it's so exciting to hear um, about Chrissy and Jenny and their willingness to say, hey, how do we create this space for the women of our church to begin to dream and to think and to process what it means to be discipled and how do we disciple others? That is so exciting to me. In fact, that's really what we've been studying over the last year in the book of Acts. What does discipleship look like? And so uh, this morning, we actually, this is kind of a celebratory, this is a very celebratory morning. We're going to finish the book of Acts today. One person, a couple people. Like, come on, we're going to finish the book of Acts today. It's crazy to think that a year ago on Memorial Day, JR opened us up uh, in the book of Acts, and here we are. So let me just pray. Jesus, thanks for um, the story of Acts and the way that it it has uh, just, we've been able to immerse our lives. We've been able to steep our lives in the story over this past year. Uh, God, we pray that, that in the steeping of this, that it wouldn't just be lost and the flavor would just go away uh, next week, um, but it would actually be infused into our beings, that we'd be a bold people that trust Jesus, uh, that, that understand that the Holy Spirit is given to us to empower us, to comfort us, to guide us, to lead us, to give us words, to give us opportunities to help us see what's really happening in a situation. Lord, thanks for giving us the community called the church, which we celebrated that birthday last week. So Lord, thank you for 2,000 years, a little over 2,000 years of your work spreading across the globe. Jesus, may we join with you in that. May we see our homes uh, as missionary posts. May we pretend that we're shipwrecked as we're sitting in our office May we recognize your grace and your mercy that just is longing to spread and flood into the places all around us. It's in your holy name that we pray this morning. Amen. So I don't know about you, but um, the end, uh, I, Mare and I are TV watchers. We've been, we've been, we've watched this show Grey's Anatomy since the first season. Please don't judge me. Um, I'm sorry. Some people, yeah, we can talk later. There's going to be Grace Anatomy support group, uh, learning community starting in the fall as well. Um, but one of the things that's so fascinating about the spring uh, is it's, it's, the, it's the season of, of, of season finales, right? And a- any of you ever get caught into the season finales? Show of hands? Okay, a few of us, right? And we can talk about our shows and whatnot. But it's fascinating. And, and I love the way that, that the writers of most of these shows work. Uh, they write an ending so that you are pining for September to show up. Uh, and, you know, s- some of you may get on Netflix and uh, sin by binge-watching um, over months and months and months of times to get caught up on the show that you just watched the first season, and now you have to go back and watch 14 seasons uh, just to get caught up. But we, the, the writers do a very good job of somehow pulling at these strings within us. And so today, that's what we're doing. That's what, the, that's, what the, that's what Luke is doing as he finishes the book of Acts. He's kind of pulling at strings. But it's different than a season finale uh, in, a, in a TV program because this story actually infuses something within our lives. It actually calls us to something. Uh, it leaves us hanging. Luke does a fantastic job of leaving it very uh, ambiguous. And so this morning, we are going to be looking through Acts chapter 27 and 20. If you have your Bibles, open up to both of those. Uh, 
we're going to be moving a lot. And so if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to use one, uh, there is a table in the back, our info table. You can grab a Bible back there. There are plenty. Um, and so if you can just open up to Acts 27, <clears throat> we'll get started. And again, the, uh, the background music playing all throughout the book of Acts is Acts 128. Uh, it's also semi around the same idea of the Great Commission, which Ben just spoke about. And, and again, uh, I think I have a slide of 1.8. Do I? I don't know. Yeah. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And just brief summary of the first ten chapters of Acts are really about... Uh, the church spreading in uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And then Paul comes on the scene and all of a sudden it blows the door off, doors off of where the church is sort of located and, and, and in this beautiful little nest. And it just starts to spread. And so Paul goes on three mission, four missionary journeys, if we're, if we're counting this last one as well, which we are. And he travels all over all over um, modern-day Turkey, uh, Greece, and he is just, I mean, this guy is, he's on planes, trains, automobiles, he's all over the place, but this guy is traveling a ton of miles, and he's planting churches, and he's sharing Jesus with people. And some things that, that we've learned is that um, God is a gracious and compassionate judge. And Paul, from the beginning of his ministry, continues to preach this, but we also get the sense of Paul's urgency. Paul is urgently moving from place to place, sharing the gospel with people. And so Paul begins, and, and what happened a few weeks ago, I don't know if you remember, we had a guest speaker, Paul, looked a lot like JR, but it was actually the Apostle Paul. He came, uh, so he got, uh, I guess that's called, what's that called? Um, release, prison release. I can't think of the name of it. Anyways, uh, work release. He was out on work release, and uh, he came and was able to speak with us that morning. But what we heard is we heard Paul's story. Uh, about how he felt so compelled to go to Rome, but there's all these, there's all these steps in the way. And so the last, the last six chapters, the last eight chapters of Acts is really about Paul's final destination, to get to Rome. He is urgently seeking to get there, and he has to go through Caesarea, he has to go through Jerusalem, he has to go through these places, and there is a lot of trouble everywhere he goes. One thing that we have to understand is in this last in this last act, uh, chapter 27 and 28, Paul is, is kind of on the doorstep of, getting, of, of, of completing this journey. And the only thing that stands in his way is the Mediterranean, which most of us would think that's probably not that big of a deal. But what we have to understand is some things about boating culture uh, and shipping culture within the ancient world. Um, when we think boats, a lot of us think big cruise boats. And sure, we've heard a few cruise boats go down, and that's, that's been really crazy. I will not go on a cruise. I'm afraid to. Uh, that much water in that big of a boat uh, just scares me. I one time heard a story. I have a friend of mine. I was invited to go deep sea fishing, and thankfully I said no. Uh, this, and the guy came back, and, and I said, so how was the trip? He goes, well, he said the first hour and a half was amazing. Blue skies unbelievable and then a storm came we lost power and the captain was throwing up I thought well I'm really glad I didn't go yeah so I the seafaring thing uh, is, is is very interesting to me but we think about big cruise boats but what we have to understand is in Paul's day in his context these boats are about 180 feet long about 45 feet wide and about 40 feet deep and shipwrecks are happening all the time I mean Paul in his letter to the uh, to the Corinthians talks about three shipwrecks and 
That was before uh, he left for Rome and experienced his fourth. And so shipwrecks are, uh, uh, I've never been in one, but, and watching Gilligan's Island probably says that they're fun because you get to hang out with the professor and Marianne, but that's not the case uh, in the book of Acts. Um, we have to understand this. Jews were not seafaring, or seafaring people. They were seafaring people. Uh, the water was, was very scary for them. Uh, they left the trade and, and the travel up to the Egyptians from the south, the Phoenicians from the north, and the Greeks. Those were boat people. They were the ones that were doing all the trade and, and, and running cargo from here to there to everywhere. And so to the Jews, the sea was a monster. Um, it was seen as a dark force. It was a power in a place where dark forces emerge, where they suck people into, and they, we never see them again. Um, all throughout the Old Testament, but specifically in the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel 7.3, in the middle of his vision, he talks about monsters coming up out of the sea. Uh, in in, in, the, in the, one of the Jewish um, extra-biblical, extra-Torah texts called the Talmud, uh, it talks about, uh, it, it gives warning to, to Jews saying, uh, at night don't walk by the water, because that's where the demons are, and they'll suck you in. And so water is kind of a scary thing for the Jews. They don't play in the sea. They're fishermen, right? So that's pretty courageous. to think. Of, we think of fishermen, we think of guys that like to go catch fish. When we think of fishermen in the ancient context, they're, they're, there's a bit of courage in what they do. But that's why when Jesus says the words, put out into deep water, uh, ancient readers are saying, whoa, 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 we don't put out into deep water. Because that's where the Leviathan lives. That's the scary place. That's the dark. Um, those are the places that we do not want to travel. And so uh, one of the things that we also understand is pagans, when they thought about the ocean, they were also fearful of it. The, the sort of the, the story is that if you were lost at sea, if you died at sea, your soul never rested. You just haunted the waters. You were just there uh, and you never found rest. And so, my friends, this is why it is so significant when we reread the gospel stories and we hear the story of Jesus walking on water. What that does is that tells us that Jesus confidently conquered the Leviathan. He, he confidently walks on the darkness because he is light and he can conquer any evil, any destructive force because he is the king. We also have to understand this completely rereads the, the story uh, of when Jesus is, he lands on Gennesaret um, and, and he ends up sending the demons into pigs. Where do the pigs run? Off a cliff into the water. It makes sense in this culture. They run into the water. And so as we begin this journey, we have to understand that Paul is a seafaring Jew. He's kind of an anomaly. Uh, he's, he's the guy that's able to just, yeah, he's not afraid. And so it's amazing as we look at Acts 27, Paul and Luke, Luke is using all this incredible terminology. Like he knows what they're, like they know what they're talking about. They're talking about the winds and heading on, uh, heading on the, 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 the lee of the island and making it around and, and the north wind and the south wind. So they're, they're, these guys know what they're talking about. And so Paul and his friends, they pick up, and there's a picture of a map. Can we, can we show the map? And so right off the bat, uh, Paul is in Caesarea. And so what we see in chapter 27 in the first 10 verses, uh, they go from Sidon to Myra to Snidus into Fairhavens and Phoenix. And they're, they're kind of in this place of this is just the first leg of the journey. Uh, and when they get into Fairhavens, Paul makes the statement, and we'll be able to look at this. And he says this. 
The next slide, I think it's, there we go. Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. So we have to understand this. Seven chapters ago, Paul is told, uh, he's tied up, uh, or someone is tied up by Paul's belt, by Paul's belt and, and has said, hey, you're going to go to Rome, and, um, and, and you're, things are not going to be good. But Paul is so urgently set, so excitedly set on going to Rome. And then we get to this place, and what does Paul say? Hey, guys, this isn't a good idea. It's because Paul actually knows what he's talking about. And one of the things that I find very fascinating about this particular piece of what Paul's doing is he's using something that I think we forget at times. He's using wisdom. He's looking at, he's reading the signs. He's reading like, hey, um, and, and it's really neat. They, they, they talk about, um, um, it says in the text that uh, right around the fast, uh, the fast has just happened. And they said that's going to be in, in early October in, you know, in 59, in AD 59. And so it's fascinating to think that we even have some of the dates in which this is happening. And so one of the things that's interesting about travel during this time is you, you don't travel from November, beginning of November, through essentially March, April, because the seas are just a mess. The wintertime is a mess. And it's funny, they have these crazy things called nor'easters. I love that. Maybe that's where it may, So next time the nor'easter comes here, we can just say, well, it's biblical and it's okay. I'll just get the snowblower out and we'll be fine. Uh, but it's fascinating to think that Paul's reading these things. And there's this beautiful part uh, in number nine. Sorry, in verse 10, it says, uh, no, 13. Here we go. Uh, now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. And so... The details that Luke leaves in this passage are pretty amazing because he says, as sailors, they're trying to get north. Can we go back to that map? I'm sorry. They're, they're, they're trying to get north. And so if a south wind's coming, that's a that's good sign. That means we're going to get up to the place where, where we need to go. And so they're kind of coming along the island. You know, Paul's, you know, crazy old Paul. He's just worried. We know what a worry we're. And then all of a sudden it says that a nor'easter. So we'll pick back up in 14. But soon a tempest wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the, on, the, on the situs, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, when they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their hands, when neither, nor when, when, when neither sun nor star appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was last abandoned. Where else have we seen on the third day our hope being abandoned? Think of the gospel story. On the third day, as the disciples walk to the tomb, all hope is gone. But they leave filled with awe and wonder. 
And so we need to understand that this is a hopeless situation. When we look at the graphic language, the temptuous wind, driven along is said twice, violent storm, violently storm-tossed, and even think about this, that when it says nor sun nor star, you know, not sun nor stars were available, but we couldn't see them. My friends, there's nothing more scary than being somewhere without a compass or without a way to figure out how to get home. Um, for us, it happens when Google Maps stops now, right? It's like, oh my gosh, I'm in the city, what am I going to do? Uh, so when Google Maps stops, we, we, we have like small anxiety. If, if I'm in an ocean uh, and I can't see the stars to navigate, I am scared to death. When I can't see the sun to figure out where west and east is, I am scared to death. Everything is gone. They throw out their cargo. They throw out the tackle. They throw out everything. It's gone. And so we have to understand at last, after they threw out all their stuff, their cargo and their tackle, they throw out their hope. So my friends, when was the last time you found yourself in the midst of a storm? Maybe some of you are in one now. What was it? What was it like when everything fell apart underneath you? When you were throwing the cargo out, when you were throwing out the tackle, when you, when, when you came to that place where you felt all hope was lost. When everything seems to be going along nicely and out of nowhere the clouds come rolling in. Sometimes storms, they seem to come up out of nowhere. My friends, this morning I want to remind us that Jesus never says we aren't going to face storms and trials. In fact, he says the complete opposite. That we will face trials, that we will face storms, that things are going to be difficult. And so in the midst of the storm, when we are alone, when we feel alone, when we feel isolated, when we've thrown everything out and our hope is gone, where do we turn? Where do we turn? There's this old hymn uh, that was penned, and I love the refrain. It says, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. My friends, there is no hope for rescue outside of Jesus. There is none. There's no hope of rescue outside of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When He rose from the dead, He conquered death. When he lived his life, he showed us what life looks like. Jesus is the only one who anchors our faith to a solid rock where we do not have to live in fear. Jesus is our hope. And we see Paul say that. and Just look at verse 21 through 26. And remember, Paul just said, hey guys, this isn't a good idea uh, in verse 10. Since they had been without food for a long time... Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. A.K.A. I told you so. I love that that's in the Bible. You can do that to your friends. That's fine. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God of whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. 
the I told you so, but it's going to be okay line. Uh, I, this, is, this is brilliant. And so think about the way, th- uh, think about this confession in which, which Paul says, the God of whom I belong and whom I worship. Jonah 1.9 says, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. My friends, this confession of Paul echoes Jonah's explanation given to the earlier Gentile crew uh, of, the, of the pagan sailors during a voyage to another center of political and military power because God has this way of longing to speak to the power. God longs to speak to the power and He longs to use us people to speak to the power, sometimes in small actions and sometimes on big platforms like the way that Paul is about to embark on and where Paul is headed. Jonah is reluctant, but Paul is faithful. He is called and he is unwavering, and he has set his eyes on the things that God has asked him to do. And so as we finish chapter 27, a miracle happens two times. Paul's life is spared twice. Number one, because God said it was going to happen. But these are the two things. Once he was spared from shipwreck, and before the shipwreck happened, uh, the, the, the Roman guards wanted to kill all the prisoners to say, you know, they're going to shipwreck, they're just going to run away. But, but God spares Paul's life through the kindness of the, of the Roman centurion. And so all 267 people make it safe, safely to the land. And we pick up in Acts 28, verse 1, and it says this, After we were brought safely through, when we, le- when we learned that the island was called Malta, the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they, were, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. Then Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them in the fire. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw, that the, cre- saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. My friends, this is his fourth shipwreck, uh, uncountable beatings, stonings, imprisonment, and now a snake bite. Like, I'm done. I, I mean, I hate snakes. They scare the life out of me. I can't even imagine. But we have to understand, Paul is so driven by this thing. There's this really cool story that I read. <clears throat> and uh, when, when you look up poisonous snakes on Malta, uh, Google tells me that uh, there's, there's no such thing as a poisonous snake on Malta. And so I'm, you know, kind of researching, studying, and, and, and having fun with this. Probably a sidetrack comment that didn't really mean much, but I was excited about it. Uh, one of the stories was that all of the snakes lost their venom on the island when Paul was bit. It sounds very similar to the story J.R. was telling me about St. Patrick, and apparently there's no snakes on all of Ireland because St. Patrick cursed the snakes and they all left. So I think... Anyways... <laughs> I also think Paul may have suffered from PTSD at this point in time uh, with all the stuff that's happening. And so one of the things that we have to look at in this is that Paul is, is fixed on getting to Rome, but all these interruptions continue to happen. And so when we think back on the entire book of Acts, we come to Acts chapter 4, Pete and John are heading to the temple to pray, and they're, they're distracted by this, by this crippled man. 
And so this interruption takes place and this crippled man stands and walks and he's healed and in the name of Jesus, this amazing story unfolds and he worships God and God does a great thing. Uh, we also, we, we think about Paul on the way to Damascus. Paul is, 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 is fixed on going to Damascus to persecute more Christians. He's knocked off his horse. God shows up, interrupts the entire thing. Uh, we also see it happen uh, th- all throughout the book of Acts. We, we think about Paul wanting to go to Asia, wanting to go further east, uh, and, and, and God says no, and he stops him in his tracks. My friends, God interrupts us. Sometimes it feels like a shipwreck. But what I appreciate about the story is that when God shows up, that God actually shows up in the shipwreck, in the car accident, in the diagnosis, in getting the mail, in being a coworker, in being someone who lives life, God shows up in those spaces. Sometimes in the big ones, sometimes in the big health scares, sometimes in the big accidents, sometimes in all these things. I don't believe God causes those, but I believe he shows up in them. And so what happens in this moment is Paul uses this to preach the gospel. That's what Paul does. Um, you know, we breathe, uh, you know, people breathe, Christians preach the gospel. That's, that's kind of the way this, this thing should, should work. And so what we understand is this detour is not just a detour, but it's also a part of the, of the destination because it's an opportunity for Paul to proclaim Christ. My friends, we've heard story after story after story after story in our lives of people who have experienced these great detours, whether it be health, whether it be family, whether it be all these different things, where they don't use it as a place to run and hide, but they use it as a place to talk about the goodness of God and what God is doing in the midst of it. Even in the questioning and the doubting, God is somehow working this stuff out for his name to be made great. And so what detours is God asking us to see. And my friends, a lot of us don't like detours, right? When we're driving and you're going your normal way home and that, that sign is up that says, you know, road closed. I mean, how many of you are like, sweet? None of us. <laughs> because we think, oh man, now I gotta go here, I gotta go here. But, but what, if, what, if, what if a detour is actually an invitation to trust that God may be doing something? What if a detour is an invitation to see God at work in a greater way? What if it actually disciples us in a way to begin to see God acting and moving outside of just the normal things where we think he should act and move? So Paul finally gets to Rome. He hops on another boat. He makes it. uh, And the, the villagers and the people of Malta bless them as they go. And so Paul finally makes it. He finishes up his journey. He makes it to Rome. And he has a chance. Uh, as he gets there, he calls some of the Jews together and he, he invites them all to his house and he shares with them the story. Um, and, and at the end of the story, some of the people believe. Some of the people believe in Jesus. Some of them walk away. And, and what actually... Paul doesn't really care about people's comfort. That messes with me. That messes with me. That shouldn't mess with us. There are times when I don't think Jesus cares about our comfort. He wants to comfort us in the midst, but sometimes he needs us to be uncomfortable so that we can be comforted. But Paul, and this is the way Paul ends the party. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit was right by saying to your fathers, he's talking to the Jewish leaders in Rome, through, the, through Isaiah the prophet, 
uh, go to this people and say, you will, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. Uh, for this people's heart was, gro- has grown dull, and with their, uh, with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have, and, with, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal. And so that's how the party ends. And then we, and, and then we come to the, to the ending of, 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 of Acts, and this is, this is brilliant. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. The ending of Acts leaves us hanging. He makes it to Rome. Luke doesn't include that he talks to to Caesar. And so the major difference is this. He doesn't let us know what happens. Paul makes, makes it to his destination. We don't hear the ending. As all good endings do, they transition us from the narrative into our own complex lives. And they leave us with the question, what are we to do in response to the good news of the gospel? And so today, as we end, we are, we are we're ending Acts. Acts is done. It ends in verse 31. But my hope is that today, this isn't an ending, but this is actually a beginning. That this is a new chapter in our church. Uh, as, as we have had a chance to look at and talk about the, the Pentecost church plant offering. Um, this is an invitation for us to say, Holy Spirit, what, could, what might you do with the few people that are bold enough to trust you? And yeah, this is asking for finances so that we can see another church planted out of renew because we believe the gospel is big enough to shipwreck all of our stuff on some island because God is at work. And so we're inviting people to give to a new church plant. Right now, God has blessed Renew. There's, there's $30,000 in the bank uh, for a church plant to start. And our prayer is that God would double that. And so I, I love that our church is, is that Renew is, is, is daring to do something big and bold and courageous. That we're looking to say, God, what if the Spirit is calling us to this? And let me tell you something. This is hard, right? Because you may be sitting next to someone who God calls to send to another church to see the kingdom spread somewhere else. That's a, that, that's a reality. Think about all the hard goodbyes that Paul had to continue to make. But I don't think it's by accident that we get to end Acts on the heels of our church planning pledge. And that I don't think it's an accident that our prayer this morning is that we join in the Spirit, that we trust that God would start a new work throughout this church in some way. That we would see the kingdom advance because God is all about kingdom advancement. And so I was just thinking about this this morning. What, is, what chapter? There, there's, this, uh, there's a church planning network that is brilliantly named. Some people think it's cheesy, but I think it's fantastic. It's called Acts 29. And the whole idea of the name is to say, see, Acts, Acts ends in 28, but actually it doesn't end. It's, it's, it's a launch pad to say, what, what chapter are we adding to the story? And so, Renew, I want to leave us with this question for a moment. What is the chapter that we get to contribute to the story of the Holy Spirit's working through Renew? 
What chapter do we get to write together? What lives do we get to see people come to Christ and, and Jesus heal them internally, externally? How do we get to see our neighbors blessed? What would it look like if our house church said, hey, we're here to write Acts 29. We're here to trust that Jesus Christ, the Lord, the risen one, is calling us out into a world that needs to see the light. That he loves those people as much as he loves us, that they're not us and them, but they're, that, they're this we that we just sense that we have good news and that the lens in which we look at all of life is completely uh, colored, uh, tinted, tainted by the gospel. We see red. We see red. We see the blood of Christ covering over a multitude of our own sins and we know that Jesus has the power and ability to free other people. My friends, that's the good news this morning. So I want to ask that you would uh, close your eyes and bow your heads with me. And I'm going to just pray a few prompts. And I want you all just to pray quietly where, where you are. So Jesus, we, we thank you for, for Paul's boldness. And God, um, we confess that we really wrestle with what it means to be bold. So God, we ask that you would forgive us for. And Lord, just like Paul's heart was set on the lost people of Rome, Lord, um, who, who are the people in our lives that you are asking us to not only pray for, but to boldly proclaim the gospel in a gracious and loving way? So Lord, who are those people? May you bring them to our minds. Lord, I, want, um, I sense that I need to remind us that we're not salesmen for Jesus. We're not pyramid scam people. Uh, we are those that have experienced the risen Christ who has set us free and changed our hearts and is in the middle of continuing to change our hearts. So God, may we go with the boldness knowing that you walk with us every step of the way. Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters in this room who are in the middle of storms. May you give them courage and hope. May you surround them with the community of believers in this room. If they're silent about the hopelessness that they're experiencing, Lord, I pray that you'd give them courage to come up front during communion where folks are praying and to, and to, and to ask for prayer in the midst of the storm. God, we're not called to people that talk about the storm after it's over. We're called to be people who are honest about the storms that we're in. So Jesus, thank you for your grace and your presence and your mercy with us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And Acts is finished.